electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Tim Seymour will join us shortly. Tonight on Fast, we're tracking the after-hours action shares of FedEx. Shares are lower right now on earnings. The company's call is about to kick off. We'll bring you all the big headlines from this quarter. Plus, streaming lower, shares of Disney under pressure on new numbers around Disney+. Plus. We'll break down the details and later... Uber kicks into overdrive. The stock rallying more than 11% today as the ride-hailing giant ups its guidance and says it could turn a profit as soon as this quarter. We're going to drive into the trade straight ahead. But first, we start off with a failure to bounce. Stocks giving up early gains to finish the day lower. This, of course, follows yesterday's massive sell-off. The S&P 500 is now down four straight sessions. So what is today's failure to bounce telling you about where we are in the market right now? Guy. Sounds like a Matthew McConaughey movie there, Melms. You might want to go to the Google machine and check that out. Why? Wax poetic. You know, Karen said it last night. She was hoping for a flush on the open. She would buy that flush. She got the exact opposite, pretty much. And I know, having not spoken to her today, but I'm sure she was somewhat dismayed and probably anticipated this. What does it say? Well, you know, again, I don't think we're going to collapse here, but I do think that 4,100 level that we've talked about a number of times in the S&P 500 is in the crosshairs. I guess the good news is today you saw the VIX back up a bit, but quite frankly, you know, you're still in the mid-20s, which I guess is concerning. This FedEx announcement, which we will talk about, is not going to help either, and I still think there's further room to the downside, which, again, I will say, I think is a good thing if you're long-term bullish. Were you dismayed, Karen Feinerman, at the failure to bounce? And yesterday night you said you had a shopping list. Would you hesitate to deploy the shopping yeah. list tomorrow, given the action that we saw today? I really was hoping for that, you know, big whoosh down. I would much rather buy things lower than higher. So, you know, a day like today, I did nothing. Um, you know, it's just sort of disappointing. I like to see... Um, I don't know. And, and the rally sort of faded by the end. And, and as Guy said, you know, FedEx, I don't know that that will help. We will get to that. So I'm not a buyer right now. I kind of want to see what happens. I feel like the Evergrande thing isn't really going to be um, a contagion that we'll see. Um, in fact, I see, I don't know, a few U.S. Uh, credit, distressed credit buyers going in and buying Evergrande. That's sort of interesting to me, just as voyeur, not, not as investor there. Um, but so nothing for me to buy today. I'd like to buy things lower. I'd rather not buy them on a bounce. So that's a little dismaying and disappointing. Guy had it exactly right. Dan, you're with Guy on the 4100 train for the S&P 500. So, so do you have more conviction in that today? And, and what do you know? I mean, were there any, was there anything under the hood of the markets? I mean, sort of unchanged from yesterday's closes. Not that exciting, but there was a lot of movement underneath. 
Yeah, there was. You know, like Karen, I was looking to see how the market would open and then how it would act off of it and opened up and then failed almost immediately. And it really chopped around for most of the day. And I suspect if you get to that 4100, it's not going to be in a straight line. You're going to have one step forward, two steps back a little bit. I guess the next stop would be the July low when the Delta variant was really starting to push out some um, consumer and some enterprise plans as it relates to spending. And that was about 4230 down there. So maybe we get there. The Fed meeting tomorrow and the presser really does throw a bit of a monkey wrench in there if they want to maintain a certain level of credibility as it relates to the minutes from the last meeting. I think that an about face because of the stock market volatility over the last um, few days would be a very bad thing. But I'll just say this, Mel, I think we had a strategist and I honestly all these days kind of mixed together here last night on the show who was talking about the interesting conundrum that we might be faced with as we head into the fall um, that we're going to see decelerating um, GDP growth and just some economic data, but accelerating earnings growth. And if you look at tonight and we're going to talk about FedEx and we're going to talk about Adobe, that might not exactly be the case. And that could be the exact setup from a fundamental standpoint where we are misaligned where the price action is of equities to date right now or at this current point. And we're going to know that in the next few weeks as we get to the close of Q3 and we start seeing possible pre-announcements for Q3 and Q4. I mean, the Fed, the, the Fed meeting timing is very interesting, Tim. I mean, in that we're sort of between earnings season. We're sort of on the precipice of the next. Yeah. We have this Evergram thing looming, and we don't exactly know. I mean, if you read what S&P says versus what Citi says versus it, it's sort of all over the map as to whether or not there is a belief that Beijing would actually step in or not. I don't know if that makes a difference in the end, but that tells you where we are in terms of, of the thinking on this and how it plays out. Well, we know the Fed doesn't need a whole lot of, of a stretch to, to wonder to what extent do they see systemic risks coming from Evergrande and, and you know, what they might have to consider as they evaluate tapering, et cetera. You know, look, I, I don't think we're getting anything tomorrow. Um, I think we were not getting anything tomorrow before Evergrande became uh, the front page news. It's been news. Uh, and the Fed's aware of Evergrande. It, it, they have to be going into uh, this meeting from two months ago. But um, I, I do think that markets want to believe uh, on some level perversely that, that you know, a market uh, volatility contagion factors could be things that would keep the Fed even that much more on hold. And I, I think the price action and the volatility that we have for the last couple of days is nothing more than what we've described. It is a market that came into September at all time highs, has, has behaved almost exactly like it did in September 3rd of 2020. And, and so if you think about the dynamics that have just been discussed, Dan's talking about earnings, uh, maybe as good as they're going to get, uh, whether that's uh, Savita from Bank of America, whether that's Mike Wilson from, from uh, Morgan Stanley, they've all talked about this. This is a dynamic that I think um, we were expecting. Normalized earnings are not great for this market, even though it's where we wanted to be a year and a half ago. So look, um, today's frustrating if we all wanted to package this thing nicely. Um, margin Monday turns to turnaround Tuesday, and then we had the turnaround and the turnaround to Tuesday, and we did exactly the opposite of what we did yesterday, although not as extreme. We, we gave back 20, 25 S&P handles in the last 15 minutes of the day. You had a 1% pull down. Some talked about the, the, the intraday volatility. I, I think that is where we are. But um, I, I think largely markets are going to be looking at bottom up factors of valuations vis-a-vis uh, -vis where this market is. Um, and, and, and look, we have to be paying attention to the Fed. And I think more Fed equals, equals more volatility ahead. But it's not coming tomorrow. 
is what happened or what has happened in the past, you know, 24, 48 hours, Guy, does that change your opinion of what the Fed will come out and do tomorrow regarding a taper timeline? Because it's got the cover to say, you know, we're not going to do it and still maintain its credibility. They could say we're watching things, things are still uncertain, and we're going to be cautious. Yeah. Fascinating question. A great, the right question, by the way. I don't know how to answer it. I'll say this, though, if you think about it in a, in a really bizarre way. I mean, what's going on there could actually give them the perfect opportunity to pass the baton off. What does that mean? Well, if things do go pear-shaped with this further than they've gone, by the way, this Evergrande situation, theoretically, there, sh- theoretically, there should be a flight to quality in terms of the market uh, racing towards U.S. Treasuries, right? You saw it to a certain extent yesterday. So I would submit if they really want to play this coyly, they would use this as an opportunity to actually begin the taper. But there's no huh. shot that people think like me and quite no shot that they do either. That is not a surprise coming from you. Maybe one of the master conspiracy theorists <laughs> on our panel that the Fed would indicate a taper, which would normally, of course, make rates go higher but then Evergrande would suppress that action. I feel like Dan might have a comment about this. Well, the irony here is that the housing market dynamics are really off the charts, and the Fed is buying $40 billion a month in in mortgage-backed securities, which seems entirely unnecessary given where interest rates are and given the tightness um, in the market. So if anything, they might or should hint to that. Now, the irony there is that the problem with Evergrande is actually a home builder for all intents and purposes. And, um, you know, it just seems like if we want to kind of barbell this thing, um, that would be perfect. Um, again, you know, I, I think that the Fed should probably start to do this. We looked at the minutes from the last meeting. It seems like there's a lot of governors or there's a lot of people there that want them to do this. I think it's really important to remember that the stock market, which some people, not me as much, I don't think that the Fed uses it as a massive barometer here, um, but they are concerned about the potential negative wealth effect if it goes down too much. But the stock market's only down a few percent. And in December of 2018, when they did an about face on their um, you know, hawkish kind of policy at the time, the stock market had gone down 19.9%, as Guy will remind us every single time, in two months, in a straight line. We are not there yet. If they want to start doing this, it's probably about time to pull the ripcord. All right, let's bring in Tom Lee now, co-founder of Fundstrat, Global Advisors, and a CNBC contributor for more on the markets. Tom, good to have you with us. Um, what did you make it today? I mean, you, you're a bull. Let's put that out there. Everybody, everybody knows that. Um, but the failure to bounce today, did that make you rethink where we are in the markets in terms of market sentiment? Um, I, I, I think the market held up incredibly well today. Uh, this Evergrande is the biggest shock to hit financial markets since covid and in a way, it's scarier because it involves quite a lot of debt and, uh, you know, an obscure world. I think as people look at Evergrande, you know, it involves a lot of leveraged products and off balance sheet and SPVs. And, you, you know, so I I think the fact that the small caps actually rally today and the Nasdaq and the S&P managed to hold flat shows that the shock of yesterday was really the big impulse. And today is a little bit of the, the ripple effect. So I, I would say I'm. I, I think it's quite constructive, actually. Okay, so you think it's constructive, but at the same time, all the for all the reasons that you laid out, that the, you know why the market action was constructive because Evergrande is this, is this hairy problem that we have. We don't know how that's going to pan out. Isn't that a reason to be 
uh, cautious about the market's longer term since we don't know how this will play out. And we don't necessarily know either the impact on not just the Chinese economy, but even the, the, the sentiment of the Chinese consumer. You know, unlike our markets, the Chinese retail investor plays a big part in the markets over there. A lot of wealth is tied up in the markets from households and losing yep. a lot of money can really have an impact on the psychology there and then, therefore, the economy. Uh, yes. Um, you know, in, in a way, yesterday was a big shock to equity markets. But as you know, if you look at financial conditions, <clears throat> they actually barely budged. Uh, you know, oil barely moved. The tenure barely budged and even currencies barely moved. So this was sort of a shock that hit equity markets globally. And as everything you've described, I think, is correct. You know, in, in Asia, a lot of people have money tied up in property or digital assets now, much more than financial stocks. And if I think about what that kind of means is I, I think we're just seeing the aftershock of retail investors largely who've been negative. Right? They've been withdrawing money from, from equities for six of the last seven weeks. And AAII sentiment was the worst reading last week for all of 2020. In fact, the worst since September 20, 20, since September 2020. So you've got a really sort of cautious, nervous retail market that I think kind of panicked yesterday. Institutions, I think, haven't really, you know, dived in because they, they're expecting aftershocks. And they think if it's like long-term capital or Lehman-like, that it's going to take some while to, to repair. So I think, in a way, the markets being flat today is actually a pretty good outcome. So again, I think we're still in a position where I think ultimately stocks are going to rally hard off this. And it's, it's ultimately because unless Evergrande is going to cause a, a real seismic effect on the U.S. economy, I think the U.S. fundamentals are in good shape. Hey, Tom, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. So turning to the U.S. fundamentals, I mean, even though the market's not off that much, we had a lot of sectors, as Dan was saying earlier, that are really, you know, commodities really getting hit, industrials, financials. Where, if you're bullish, where of the sectors, what do you like? Uh, we've been looking at this sector relative strength recently, and we're going to talk about that tonight. And I would say it looks like the market's actually trying to decide what's going to be a battleground because I think Fang isn't as strong um, as as it looks, and I think cyclicals like industrials and financials and you know generally domestically oriented companies are actually holding pretty well. So I, I think that this is a time where the market is waiting. Investors are waiting for the market to tell them where the strength's going to be. But you know our guess is that if if the economy's you know, continues to be in good shape, which is our base case, and COVID's retreating, then I think you really want to have a cyclical tilt into your end. Tom, good to see you. Thank you. Thanks. Tom Lee, a fun strat. Tim, you with Tom on the cyclical tilt? I am. Well, if nothing else, just because of the underperformance. And, and I realize we may be looking at Q4 GDP that is not what we were expecting, maybe down by a couple hundred percentage points. Um, but we've priced in uh, may, maybe this is the fourth wave. And if you're looking at Tom charts, they do a nice job in, in, in analyzing COVID and, and uh, heat map, et cetera. I mean, there's no question we, we, we had uh, the second highest crescendo uh, in terms of 
in, in terms of infections about six weeks ago. Um, and a lot of this led even into September. Uh, cyclicals priced this in, uh, I, I think, aggressively as we got into the second half of July. And, and I think a lot of that pain is something that's still going to have to be assessed. But ultimately, and we'll talk about FedEx in a second, but, but I, if you look at transports and if you look at industrials, uh, the fact that the, the earnings power of a lot of these companies has never been better, uh, that's the one place where I don't think we've priced in normalized earnings and some actual up, upgrades we'll see to EPS. All right. We've got an earnings alert on FedEx. The stock, as we mentioned, lower in the after-hour session. Let's get to Frank Holland with all the details. Frank. Hey there, Melissa. FedEx down about 4% after a mixed earnings. Revenue's a beat, but a big miss for profit. EPS more than 50 cents below estimates. Higher labor cost is the cause. CEO Fred Smith spelled it all out in the earnings release, calling about 15 minutes. Here's what he said in the release. Operating results were negatively affected by an estimated $450 million year-over-year increase in cost due to a constrained labor market, which impacted labor availability, resulting in network inefficiencies, higher wage rates, and increased purchase transportation expenses. Purchase transportation, that's largely hiring contractors to run the ground network that handles residential e-commerce. And in those ground numbers, you can see revenues up 9%, but then the costs rising double digits for both salary and the rentals of equipment. Those inefficiencies really hitting margins across the board. Margins were above 8% a year ago. FedEx also lowering both the top and the bottom line of its range um, for its profit guidance. Right now, you're seeing FedEx shares down just about 4%. UPS also trading lower right now. Both of them underperforming the S&P over the past three months on concerns that labor costs are growing while e-commerce is slowing down. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Frank, thanks so much. Uh, let's trade FedEx. And for that, we got to go to Karen first and foremost. Karen, mm-hmm. what'd you make of this quarter? Yes. So it was a little disappointing on, you know, Frank uh, highlighted what it was, the uh, cost and uh, labor shortages and needing to be less efficient by outsourcing. And so that's, that's frustrating. But I'm sort of surprised. It's not like the stock had a super frothy multiple going into this, right? It had traded down for weeks, it seems. And so, you know, they lowered their guidance by about a little bit more, tiny bit more than the amount that they missed by. And yet the multiple came in. So I, I, you know, it seems overdone to me, but clearly I've been wrong about this one for a couple of months. I just think that one thing I would want to hear on the call, and I'll listen to it after the show, is, okay, they talk about all the problems that they have with efficiency, labor, all of that. I think they also maybe mentioned some uh, surcharges for fuel, which is a plus and a minus. But I want to hear, is that getting better? Are they able to address that? Can they become more efficient? The freight margins, which is to business, those were very, very good. Ground, again, disappointing. Uh, all that having been said, though, I mean, a, a 12 multiple on uh, this current year's earnings, this is the first quarter of the fiscal year, uh, that seems low to me. That seems very low. So I'm surprised the market um, is hitting it this much, but I, I want to hear the call. Here is the headline that stuck out to me, which may partially address uh, what Karen was asking in terms of whether or not these increased costs would continue. Uh, The headline is conditions during the first quarter were more challenging than anticipated and are now expected to extend longer. Obviously, investors want a little more detail than that. um, But Guy, what are your thoughts? Well, you've got to pay people more for them to work. It's very hard then six months later to say, oh, by the way, um, we're paying you less now. So that's pretty sticky, number one. The other thought I have, and this is just a stylistic thing, I'm not quite certain why maybe this will be addressed on the call. 
They chose yesterday at 4.15 to announce price increases and then obviously dropped this bomb on us today. Karen's right, but, you know, FedEx Express, I'm just looking at it. I mean, that's half of their revenues, and the operating margins there were an unmitigated disaster. Now, I power-pitched this sucker when it was trading, I think, 295 or so many months ago and maybe went up for a day, and it's been pretty uh, brutal ever since. Obviously, the UPS news a few <laughs> months ago didn't help either. Um, what level? Well, 240, better hold, because that was basically the low we made back in February. That's your sort of line in the sand. But there's really not a lot to like here, and it speaks to a much bigger problem that obviously we talk about all the time with, you know, is the Fed right about transitory or not? We'll see. FedEx says they're wrong, by the way. Yeah, uh, the call is about 19 minutes in. We'll keep on top of the story, keep you posted on all the developments. Meantime, coming up, shares of Disney losing some magic after disappointing streaming comments from CEO Bob Chapek. We'll tell you what he said that investors running for the door. But first, Uber in the fast lane, shares speeding higher after the company raised guidance. Buckle up, we're going to drive into that trade when Fast Money returns. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We're watching share of uh, shares. <laughs> We're watching Bitcoin very closely. It is now down by about 7%. Um, the drop accelerating at this point, probably in the past 45 minutes or so. Of course, this is happening just before the first open for the Chinese stock market uh, since last week. A lot of wealth in uh, Asia is tied up in Bitcoin. People might be raising funds. We'll dig into this story a little bit later on and also tell you about some interesting comments that SEC Chair Gary Gensler had about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Meantime, let's get to Uber topping the tape today. Shares accelerating more than 11 percent after the company raised guidance, saying it may hit profitability this quarter. Here's Uber CEO Dara Khajur Shahi earlier today on CNBC. Our gross bookings levels are 35 to 40 percent above the IPO, uh, and we are very clearly on the path to profitability. In the second quarter, we really leaned into supply, especially in the United States, to reinvigorate our driver base and grow our driver base in the U.S. And we're seeing that now, the benefits of that early investment in Q3, the business in terms of volumes, we had our best week ever uh, last week. The service in general, surge levels are coming down. ETAs are at their best uh, levels 
since the beginning of the years. The service itself is getting better. Okay, so Uber is in on the action too, Dan. I mean, Lyft already hit this metric in terms of profitability, the selected profitability metric that these two rideshare companies have chosen. Um, What do you make of the story? Yeah, I just don't think that you're in it for profits in 2021 or 2022. And if you look at, um, you know, consensus estimates, especially in Uber, they're still calling for a big um, gap net income loss next year. And that's on a 20 plus billion dollar revenue base. So to me, you know, the stock was down a little more than 30% from its all-time highs. It had evaporated the entire move from the vaccine announcement back in November 2020 here. And I think the timing was right to get out there and get fast and loose with that profitability sort of term. I just think there's a lot of investors out there who have a very defined um, understanding of what they think profits are um, in the stock market. I don't think that's exactly um, what this ride share profitability speaks to. Fast and loose. Those are damning words, <laughs> Dan Nathan. And not a surprise coming from you, actually. But Karen, does that bother you in terms of this adjusted uh, profit metric that the companies choose to use? Are we talking about like eyeballs yeah, back in the, <laughs> in the tech bubble kind of thing? <laughs> Yeah, and then don't get me started on stock-based compensation and how that's just sort of, I don't know, sort of pixie dust. It doesn't really count. I, so I agree with Dan, though. The story's not about, the valuation here is not about getting to profitability this calendar year or not. Um, it is amazing. The stock's been public, I think, too, and change years. It came at 45. Um, a lot has happened since then, some of which was terrible, some of which they did a good job. And uh, Uber Eats is interesting. I think he's a great CEO. It's just for me, the valuation's not there. So I'm not, not long Uber. Quick, would you rather, Tim? This is, good. This is something I've never done, this pairing. Okay. Uber or DoorDash? <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. Uh, and I'm going to play by the rules, Uber. Uh, and, and while, yeah, I, I think we still, the jury is out on profitability. Um, the stock was down 40% going into this uh, 8K that they filed. And the fact that, that they say services get better, it had to get better. Look, I, I think at some point, uh, if I take New York City as an example, there's an existential risk even for rideshare, even though we know it's supposedly you know, transportation as a service is the way it goes. You, nothing is affordable. Nothing's available. So this driver supply issue, very, very important. Let's see where we go. I think people are figuring other things out while they can. So um, the stock, uh, no one's valuing it on a profitability EPS anytime soon. Uh, it's a bombed out stock relative to where we stood even just, you know, February of this year. And, and I think a lot of bad news in it. I think, I think it's got more room to move higher. All right. We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Disney losing some magic as subscriber growth slows. So what's in store for the House of Mouse? Plus, a big bet on betting. DraftKings making a $20 billion offer to buy a fellow gambling company from across the pond. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Disney dropping in today's session. CEO Bob Chapek warning of a subscriber slowdown. Let's get to Julia Borson with the details. Hi, Julia. Well, Melissa, Disney shares turned lower specifically on comments from Disney CEO Bob Chapek this afternoon at his at the Goldman Sachs media conference, Communicopia. Chapek said that while the company is on track to hit its long-term targets for streaming subscribers, that growth numbers will be choppy. He said that fiscal fourth quarter paid subscriber numbers will increase by low single-digit millions from the prior quarter, warning of a little bit more noise than Wall Street expects. He also spoke of headwinds, including Delta-driven production delays, resulting in less new product hitting the streaming services in the coming quarter. But JPEG did also highlight some areas of strength, including the theme parks, saying they, quote, like the recovery we're seeing, and that bookings at the parks increased between the fiscal third and fiscal fourth quarter, also noting momentum around cruise ship bookings, saying that they are higher in the second half of next year than they are in the first half. He also said that they'd be interested in the opportunity around sports betting that could be another growth driver for Disney. But the stock did end the day down 4% on that streaming subscriber warning. Melissa? Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. So based on what Julia said, this really sounds like a testament to what Disney's valuation is made of. I mean, he said all the right things about the other parts of the business. He even threw in a little bit of sports betting interest, which would have gotten investors all excited before guy but here we are down four percent because streaming is not panning out to what it's supposed to be in the near term because the driver that gave them that valuation is now obviously starting to slow a little bit and now all of a sudden valuation which didn't matter appears to matter um and this is quite frankly you go back and listen to some of the things that tom rogers has said over the last six to nine months sort of lining up with that all that said, the May low was down to 169. We traded down there today and bounced a couple bucks. So 169 is your line in the sand. If we were to break there on any other bad news or if the market uh, were to sort of not cooperate, that 150 level, which I believe was a prior all-time high, and I'm looking back, I think it was like December of 2019, that gets into the crosshairs very quick. So Disney, in my opinion, technically speaking, is at a critical level here at 170. Yeah. You think it's critical, Tim? I, I was going to point out that this, the, the chart bothers me a lot more than the headline. The, the fact that if you actually see it break through the 200, this is really the first time it's traded through. Let's see where we go. We've had a couple dances there. Uh, but also you have this cluster where you've got some of the shorter term and medium term moving averages moving down across. You could say bear cross. You could say what you want. Um, but the competitive landscape, especially around folks like Apple and Amazon, are, are the ones that have unlimited, you know, basically budget to throw at this at a time when look, the, the COVID resurgence in terms of production delays, big deal. Um, that, that's not your issue. Uh, the valuation for Disney has been an issue. It's never mattered for Netflix um, on some level, although Netflix until recently has struggled, but really has had, you know, a relative value breakout to Disney. Uh, don't like the timing of this announcement. Um, referring to just a little bit of noise um, is, is something that can be interpreted a lot of ways, but it's not a great headline. Yeah. Karen, at what point do you think Disney is worth taking a look at? Well, I mean, Guy brought it up. This is the engine driving it. So it wasn't the profitability engine driving it, right? It costs a lot of money to build the streaming business that they have. It was more the future of it. Now, I, I, it's interesting that Disney also has a supply chain issue in that the Delta variant has prevented them from having the production um, that they wanted. 
it's it's interesting to me. It's not quite there yet. This is the kind of stock if it was built on a oh future value much later. This tape isn't quite that, but it is Disney. It does deserve a premium. If it does come in, I will take a look. But it's I, I'd like to see. Can I go back to Guy and ask if it breaks that? Where's if it breaks that one sixty nine? Where's it going? Guy, where's it going? Yeah. So. If- I think 150, and you go back to prior all-time high. I think it was Thanksgiving or, or early December 2019. The stock traded up to 150 and then failed. So past resistance becomes support. So I would say it closed below 169, and I think that 150 level is smacking the crosshairs there, K-Fine in 09. All right. We're here to serve. Coming up, we're all over the drop in Bitcoin. The crypto is down more than 8% just moments ago. Now coming off that drop, it's down 5%. We are going to dive into the move straight ahead. Plus, a big bet on betting. DraftKings making a $20 billion offer for fellow sports betting company Entain. We're going to go all in on that one. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Bitcoin uh, selling off in just the past 40 minutes or so. The move comes just hours after Wall Street's top cop took new aim at cryptocurrencies. Let's get to Kate Rooney with the details. Kate. Hey, Melissa. SEC Chairman Gary Gensler with a warning for crypto exchanges. He says they need to register with the agency. And if they don't, they'll be hit with enforcement actions. This was during an interview with The Washington Post Live earlier today. Gensler says in part... There are trading platforms where you can buy and sell digital tokens, as well as lending platforms where you can earn interest. And it is, quote, highly likely that these are securities, which the SEC, of course, is obligated to regulate. He also says the agency will continue to bring enforcement cases against those crypto exchanges that don't register. Gensler also highlighting investor protection. He says there are potential problems with lending or trading platforms if and when. There are problems, and that does come to fruition. He says, quote, a lot of people are going to get hurt. Gets are also talking about stable coins. He says those tend to look a lot like banking products, but the SEC, quote, doesn't have the full gamut of what they need to regulate them. He says he's looking to Congress for more resources. And finally, he highlighted a report on stable coins coming from Treasury and the SEC. That is expected in the next coming weeks and getting a lot of attention in the crypto community, Bitcoin, meanwhile, has had a rough, pretty volatile couple days. It's back near the $40,000 level. It did drop below $40,000 just within the past hour. It's down more than 10% for the past week. And those losses did accelerate in the past hour or so and coming after those comments. So, Melissa, unclear if that is the key driver right now or if it's more about action in Asian markets as they look to open, nonetheless, an extremely volatile week for cryptocurrencies. Back to you. All right, Kate. Thanks, Kate Rooney. Um, Part of the comments also that uh, Gensler had to say, it's part of this Washington Post um, interview, was I don't think there's long-term viability for five or 6,000 private forms of money. Obviously, there are a lot of coins out there, um, and there are a lot of rug pulls out there, meaning, you know, developers put the coins out, and then they take off the money eventually. And those those are, I think, the cases that Gensler is talking about. Dan, um, it's kind of unusual, though, to have the chairman of the SEC comment on an asset class with such strong words, Wild West, et cetera. Yeah, I guess he's seen this before, Mel. And I think the point about these altcoins is very reminiscent of the late 90s. Um, you know, there was a uh, land grab for anything that you could throw the, the term dot com on the end of. There was a lot of scams. There were a lot of not 
particularly viable um, business models. And that is the job of the SEC. And I think there's a lot of people in crypto who don't really mind a lot of this stuff being regulated. Of course, an exchange that is trading these sorts of things where retail is in and out of um, should be regulated here. So, um, you know, I think the volatility that you've seen over the last, let's call it, you know, um, few days is not that unwanted. You know, our, our friend um, BK likes to say that cryptos are the main ones are in this adoption phase right now. And if you're an institution adopting or acquiring the main assets here, you'd like to see pullbacks like that. You'd also like to see the sort of rallies that we had from July, which are kind of, um, you know, consistent with maybe some changing fundamentals or, or um, acceleratingly positive fundamentals. But you need some pullbacks to get into. So um, I think that there's a lot of people in the crypto space who see this sort of volatility um, as a feature, not exactly a bug as it relates to the underlying assets. Or maybe it's a tell uh, in terms of what this cryptocurrency actually is. I mean, if, if once again it's going to pull back in times of market volatility, and in this case it's the Evergrande situation possibly, I mean, we know that a lot of BTC is traded out of Asia, Tim. There's probably a, a, a mad dash to raise some cash over there. And I don't know if it's a coincidence that you see Bitcoin fall below 40K uh, at around the same time. Well, margin Monday. And, and I, I think, look, the, the higher beta correlation of Bitcoin and Ethereum and Ethereum more so because it's had a bigger move in 2021 um, is not surprising at all. Uh, and, and think about, again, the pressure on the regulatory front coming out of China and what China's been doing in terms of putting pressure on digital currencies and tokens. And so, uh, you know, again, I, this is largely expected. Store of value, no one's really ever bought that. Um, institutional adoption, absolutely. By the way, more SEC, more regulation equals higher asset prices to me uh, when you're talking about this asset class. Once it's regulated, once you can stamp it, um, that, that takes a lot of pressure off of portfolio managers and major institutional buyers because they won't be uh, having a foray into the Wild West, as quoted. So um, I don't think this is bad news. Um, I think the SEC does need to uh, you know, get around the issues and obviously spent a long time doing so. Uh, not terrible for the asset class, ultimately. All right. Coming up, DraftKings going all in, the company making a huge offer for fellow sports betting giant Entane. We're going to dive into the details. But first, it's Hispanic Heritage Month. All month long, we're spotlighting CNBC contributors and business leaders. Here's the founder and CEO of Element and Company. I'm a proud Latina and the daughter of entrepreneurs, the great granddaughter of entrepreneurs, and there's so many more in our communities. And so I think it's critical that this Hispanic Heritage Month and throughout the entire year, we find ways to support the Latinas and Latinos who are building the future. Because by supporting them, we're supporting our entire community and we're shaping this entire country every single day. So please support, show some love because they're putting their heart and soul and a lot of ganas into what they're doing. Gracias. Welcome back. CNBC's Delivering Alpha is back September 29th. Join some of the biggest names in investing at this can't-miss virtual event. Register now at DeliveringAlpha.com. Meantime, check out DraftKings shares on the move after CNBC's David Faber reported that the sports betting giant is offering upwards of $20 billion to buy British betting company Entane. The stock would reportedly be largely in DraftKings stock, but with cash mixed in. There's a twist, though, in this tale. Entane already has an online sports betting partnership with MGM in the U.S., and any potential deal would require MGM's approval. Let's dive deeper into this wild wager with Jeffrey's senior gaming analyst, David Katz. David, great to have you with us. Um, this seems like a, 
I don't know, a, a big mess that, that DraftKings is sort of introducing itself into, knowing that it would have to get MGM's approval for this deal to go through. Uh, no question. I, as you can see, I came to the office this morning to enjoy, work on some projects, not exactly client or TV ready. Uh, and one thing led to another, and, and, and here we are. Uh, what we've known is that you know MGM has had this partnership with Entain uh, called BetMGM. It has started to accelerate very nicely. They did 23% uh, iGaming market share. Uh, they're poised to be number two in sports betting in the United States. Uh, and there had been an offer back in January by MGM to buy out Entain. Uh, due to UK laws, they had to wait six months, which would have brought us to June. And there is an expectation that we've written about that MGM would take another shot uh, at it. Uh, they have cash on their balance sheet. They ended the quarter with $5.6 billion, another $6 billion on the come. So they have had the resources. And this DraftKings bid, as you pointed out, Melissa, came completely out of the blue this morning. And they're not talking to us. And so it's not entirely clear uh, exactly what their strategy is for it. How do you play out the chessboard, David, if you think that MGM is not going to um, let, let this go, uh, let this happen, and will make a higher bid and likely get Entain in the end? Look, there, there's certainly a possibility that they could come over the top. Uh, and, you know, we will find out uh, in the near term. We did speak with MGM today, and they're, they're not saying a ton. Uh, other than, you know, they will you know, sit down with the parties involved and, and see what makes the most sense for MGM shareholders. Uh, and we have trust that they will get uh, to that answer. You know, scenario one is that, uh, you know, MGM has the, uh, the right, as you pointed out in your opening, uh, to buy out the other half of BetMGM, that JV. The question around that, Melissa, is uh, what technology and what IP comes along with that other half of, uh, of the JV, or does the important technology and people go uh, with, you know, the Entain parent company? We don't know that. And as I said, you know, MGM could come back and go over the top and try and take down all of Entain, uh, but it involves a very large, global, complex business uh, that is in, you know, some markets that aren't fully legalized yet. Uh, it changes the complexion of you know, what we find compelling about BetMGM, which has really had a ton of momentum. So, David, how do you play then the chessboard as it relates to the other competitive landscape and consolidation? And if you and if you think about the camps that have been moving aggressively, so it's been uh, the casinos and it's been the call it the independence and, and the dedicated and pure play uh, digital online sports betting plays. Uh, but who, who are the next folks that have to come together? Because Scenario analysis, one way or the other, says either DraftKings prevails here um, or MGM has to prevail, and that either way you've you've taken one piece off the board, and the big need to get even bigger. Right. So look, the the, the way we step back and look at this, and and this is the way we've looked at sports betting globally at Jeffries over the past couple of years. Right. You need market access. Uh, you need access to customers or eyeballs. You need technology, and you need content. And that's the framework that we've looked at everyone. Uh, and, and so, you know, in DraftKings' case, I mean, they clearly have a brand and access to customers. Market access, they've had to buy. They merged with SB Tech through their SPAC transaction and have mm -hmm. been rolling that out, you know, over the recent past. And certainly the questions come up all day today as to whether that is working for them or they felt like they needed to go in another direction. 
you know, in the case of MGM, just to take it one step further, let's say they buy out the other half of BetMGM from Entain. Will they be undercapitalized on the technology side? And to answer your question, does that bring them to some of the smaller public players that are B2B tech providers, that are B2B content providers? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the GAN, uh, RSI, you know, many of those are on our coverage list and without putting any likelihoods around them. You know, when you look at that framework, you will start to see uh, that they have some and not other aspects of uh, you know, of that, 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 you know, fully capitalized value chain that we lay out. I'm glad that you mentioned that, David, because just earlier we were talking about Disney and some comments that CEO Bob Chapek made earlier um, at this Goldman Sachs conference about being interested in sports betting. We saw the way Disney got into the streaming game by buying a, a relatively small streaming company and basically buying the technology. And you just mentioned a whole list in your coverage universe of of the technology companies. Do you see any sort of logical fits there, possibilities? You know, look, I, I, I prefer to stay away from making specific matches, right? But what we have seen are companies that have shown specific strength uh, in delivering content. We have seen companies, and you can look at our, you know, published reports, um, you know, uh, on, on companies that bring specific technology that are more iGaming heavy versus mm -hmm. sports betting. And the one point I do want to make, you know, clear is that I think the public focus on sports betting uh, is one thing. When you look at the industry and you talk to people, the real value and the profits are in the iGaming, the real yeah. money mobile wagering. And, and that's where everyone's trying to get to and make sure that they're well positioned. That's a good point. David, great to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I thought the plaid looked good, by the way. David Katz of Jeffries coming up. We are mining <laughs> for gains. Freeport McMoran falling in today's session, but option traders are betting on a big turnaround. We'll break down the action next. Shares of Freeport Macmoran falling today, but options traders are betting on a turnaround. Let's get to Mike Coe with more. Mike. Yeah, Freeport Macmoran traded about two and a half times its average daily call volume and calls outpaced puts also by about two and a half to one. That was the result of a lot of activity in the December 33 and 40 calls. Institutional buyers, including a purchase of 16,000 of those December 33, 40 call spreads for $1.45. Looks like this institutional trader might be targeting the highs last seen in August. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. For more Options Action, full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Final Trade, Tim. FedEx discounted the S&P. Huge FedEx. Karen. MGM. Bet MGM more valuable today on the heels of the DraftKings ending bid. Dan. Yeah, that FedEx news does not sound great for Amazon. Guy. I'm with Martha Stewart, William Sonoma. Check that out. <laughs> Thanks for watching Fast Money. We'll see you tomorrow. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.